0: Hello, and welcome to Moments That Made Her, a podcast where the rare and unique women that hold senior private equity roles share their stories, including the key personal and professional moments that define their journeys and the lessons that they learned along the way. I'm Kirstie McGuire, Executive Director of PE PEWIN. For those of you joining us for the first time, Moments That Made Her is a production of the Private Equity Women Investor Network also known as P.E.WIN. We are the preeminent organization for senior-level women investment professionals in private equity. P.E.WIN provides its members with opportunities to network, share ideas, make deep connections with peers, and empower each other to succeed. Our mission is to increase the profile of women in private equity, and our members represent institutions with over $3 trillion in assets under management. To learn more, please visit PEWin.org. The host of Moments That Made Her is Kelly Williams. Many of you know Kelly as the founding chair of PEWin, as well as the founder of the legendary private market solution business known as the Customized Fund Investment Group, which she and her team grew to manage $30 billion of assets until she let it sail in 2014. She is now the CEO of the Williams Legacy Foundation, and serves on the board of the Greenbrier Companies and Grasshopper Bank, and chairs the board of the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode.
1: welcome to the latest episode of moments that made her i'm kelly williams your host and the founding chair of the private equity women investor network and i am so excited to have as our guest today angela miller may whom everyone knows Um, she spent i think 11 years right with chicago teachers And then in August, joined uh, Illinois Municipal as the chief investment officer. And she has distinguished herself in so many ways um, as clearly a great investor, but also a really brilliant and and forward-thinking executive in the finance industry. Um, Recently having been named uh, a trailblazer, uh, by WIP, uh, Women Investment Professionals in Chicago, and uh, a, a great organization where I've also uh, been uh, been honored as well. And so I'm thrilled to have you as my guest today, Angela. Thank you for having me. I, I'm so excited, <laughs> I'm trying to calm down a little bit. Mm-hmm. So for for our viewers, I want you to know how special this broadcast is because what you don't know is Angela and I are both holding back our families uh, because we're, we're, we're broadcasting this the day before Thanksgiving and so trying to get ourselves in order. But we're women, which means we can multitask and get lots Absolutely. of things done. So uh, you're you're in for a treat. <laughs> So I want, to start, um, I want to start at the beginning uh, where we usually start um, and talk a little bit about your life and particularly how you grew up. Tell, tell our listeners a little bit about you and, and how and where you grew up.
2: Sure. So um, I grew up here, uh, born and raised in Chicago, Illinois. Um, and as I think about like how I grew up, Um, I just, I have to think about my family and my grandmother who really valued education, uh, but didn't have the opportunities that I had. And I think about my mom and my, and my, and her siblings and, and, you know, how they had to migrate to Chicago really to just graduate high school. And that's how I came to be here. And I, I just think about, the sacrifices that they made to, to send me to Northwestern University and the, and the pride that they had when I received that diploma. And I don't, I don't think it's like really any key moments. It was a moment in time that really kind of shaped me. Um, I grew up in the early 70s. I don't want to date myself, but <laughs> um, in a house full of young adults uh, who had a sense of family, community, and faith. And it was common for my grandmother to take in other relatives and for her to direct us to go out of our way for people and to sacrifice for others. And it was her belief that selflessness um, led to God's blessings. And the more you gave, the more you received. Now, being an only child, (laughs) that didn't quite gel with me at first, Um, being selfless and and learning to share. Um, But I got there. And, you know, it's, it's like, I just grew up with entrepreneurs and innovators and thinkers. And, you know, at that time, um, my mom, my aunts, my uncles, um, it was like, a spirit of, you know, we can change the world through, you know, music, through writings, through protest. And that's kind of the environment I grew up in. I think as difficult as it was for them with the civil rights movement and growing up in the 60s, it really was a period of awakening for me. And I felt as if I wore my blackness like a badge of honor with beauty and with pride and kind of the aftermath of the civil rights movement. And there was a lot of laughter, a lot of music, a lot of dancing, a lot of family road trips back to the South. (laughs) Um, And I think it was a time like, you know, when a time out for me was like, meaning I could watch no TV and I had to sit down with encyclopedias and read or either put together like a thousand piece puzzle with my grandmother. Those were my, my punishments. (laughs) So, and I, I remember those and I remember like the, the hook rugs that we, you know, put together to, you know, and and put up on the wall. Like, you know, it was like art, (laughs) but, Mm -hmm. and I I just kind of grew up knowing that, you know, being a black girl, was not an obstacle and not a barrier but it was more of a, a privilege because that's how I was taught and I grew up knowing that success was afforded to people that worked hard and that prepared for success and that was kind of my environment where I I felt I got a sense of resilience um, a drive um, to succeed um, my work ethic and my resourcefulness. And, you know, I I wouldn't trade it for the world.
1: Well, that's extraordinary. I mean, you're so fortunate to have that kind of um, community around you. Um, it reminds me, I, I, I'm assuming uh, you are a first generation college student? Is yes. That? Yeah, me too. Yeah. I'm the first person in my family to ever go to college. And um, I came from a, a on my mom's side, big Italian family. And so we only socialized with the family. I I didn't know that, you know, people went out to dinner with friends because all we ever did was socialize with our family. Um, But I felt so fortunate that I always had my aunts and uncles and my great aunts and uncles and my grandparents and great grandparents. Everybody was around. And, you know, we were, we were, um, lived very modestly. We were lower income and I never knew it. No, I never knew it. I never felt that way. I felt so rich and so blessed. And um, so it sounds like you you grew up that way as well. That's because we were rich with love.
2: Like, and, you know, that that goes a long way. Like, you know, they're the simple things, um, which is where we are so far from now. But it it was great to kind of grow up that way.
1: Well, so um, then what ended up being your first job?
2: Hmm. I I knew I wanted to be in the financial industry, so having like no exposure and no experience and no network for me, that translated into banking. And my first job was a, a teller at again I'm dating myself at the IBM
1: Credit Union. Ah, <laughs> my my dad worked for IBM, so
2: <laughs> we have a lot in common. I know, and so. You know, I was a teller and I I seem to have a talent for managing teams. So, you know, I went to a teller supervisor, um, to a branch supervisor, and my career kind of led me to a career in, in banking and finally the, the Northern Trust.
1: Mm-hmm. And so did you start, were you working like when you were in junior high or high school or did you, um, did, was your first job really in the bank? It was really uh, the teller job because mm-hmm. um,
2: my grandmother was like, you know, study, study, study. I wanted to have a job during high school, but she was just like, no, you, you study. And I, I, I blame her today because I cannot cook. But I would she would send me to my room to study, but I would finish and be able to kind of be in the kitchen like during Thanksgiving. And I picked
1: up baking. So I am a a good baker, but not a good cook. (laughs) (laughs) Well, baking, baking requires a lot of precision. So no, no surprise that you went into finance. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. So at what point did you uh, did you decide that your path really was going on the investment path. You know, there are obviously yeah. so many things you can do in finance.
3: Mm-hmm. Um
1: but what when did your interest get sparked in, in in investments and when did you pursue that?
2: Yeah, so um I was at Northern Trust uh for 13 years and I kind of advanced um through different positions. Um uh, but then 2008 happened. And um, as a result, we started to reduce people. And I started with a group of 10. And and at that time, I had 55 people that were reporting to me. And after several reductions and, you know, um, just laying off people, that came down to 20 people. And that was mm. so difficult for me because I had never... I had never fired anybody, I had never laid anybody off, and I was really just kind of taking on the emotions of all of it. And so at a certain point, it became my time, and I was kind of displaced as well. And at that time, I had a BA in economics from Northwestern, and I had a MBA uh, from DePaul University. And I really didn't have a plan, uh, which was the first time for me, too. And so I decided to go back to DePaul University, just kind of take some classes, figure out what I wanted to do when I grew up. <laughs> and I, I kind of stumbled into investments. And the more I learned about it, um, the more I wanted to learn. And I was kind of hooked from that point forward. And then in 2010, I, I landed at Chicago Teachers in an entry level position, which was a little different too. But I was so excited to really kind of get my foot in the door and get the experience that I needed um, that it it really didn't matter to me. So the Chicago teachers team was like small, really small. Who was the CIO then? It was uh, Carmen Heredia Lopez. Yeah, she was the first CIO there. Um, So that position had never been. So I think she had just gotten there in July And she hired me in November of 2010, and it afforded me the opportunity to just kind of really learn every aspect of investing um, in a public pension plan. And so, you know, I moved through various positions over time. And as I moved through those roles and the asset classes and the strategies, um, I just gained more exposure. And when the role of uh, portfolio manager alternatives became available, I jumped at the chance. And I jumped because it followed a misstep or a missed opportunity that I had. Um, I had the opportunity to be promoted to um, the portfolio manager for public markets. And, you know. I served as the interim, but at the time the role was available, I didn't feel like I was ready. And I spent months like training the new portfolio manager for that role. And, you know, she simply asked me, why didn't you apply? And I was kind of embarrassed to say I, I didn't think I was ready, but here I was like training her and so when the portfolio manager of alternatives came, I was like, ready or not, I'm I'm just going to apply and I'm just going to leave it out there. And I got it. And so, you know, I especially enjoyed um, private equity um, and understanding vehicles and strategies and sectors and um, even infrastructure was like, it was tangible to me, you know, I, I could go look at a bridge or, you know, look at the airport or rails or, you know, it was just, you know, just intriguing to me that I walked across these things. I used these things all the time, but never looked at them from that perspective of something that had so many possibilities and the opportunity to really, you know, get value out of Um, So it it just kind of changed my view of the world, like even walking into like a building. Now I notice, you know, the elevators, I notice the retail, (laughs) I notice, you know, all these little things that I never noticed before. And it it just became something that I wanted to do. And, you know, I kind of moved forward with that. But at the time that I felt like the CIO role was you know, something that was a real possibility for me, that kind of became my end goal. And I understood that having a strategy around private equity and alternatives was going to be critical for a fund like Chicago Teachers um, that, you know, needed the funds and was underfunded. So I kind of just kind of built my career around that, you know, doing what I could to to increase the returns, and, and that mean, meant doing a lot in alternatives for Chicago teachers.
1: Well, I think what you've just described is something that so many women grapple with, and, and we hear all the time that in surveys, women feel like they have to have 80 percent um, yes. expertise before and men, men are happy with 20 percent. and you just gave like the perfect example the good thing though for you is that the next opportunity came along and in many ways it, it yes al- i mean i'm biased of course but alternatives i think is a little more interesting than public equities. <laughs> so um and it, and it really rounded your skill set out to be a cio because not everybody gets that opportunity to do public equities and alternatives yeah I, the small team like You know,
2: moving through asset class by asset class and understanding, you know, the operations of, you know, investments and also, you know, all of the things like security litigation and lending, proxy voting, all of the things that are kind of supporting the investments I got to learn because, you know, I got to touch everything. And I think that was Um, so fortunate for me to start in that entry level role. You know, it really was, you know, what I thought was restarting my career and reevaluating my career. And what I thought at one point was the end of my career really was kind of the start of my career, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, no, it makes total sense. I think that's a great, I think that's a great lesson for everybody. You know, um, talk a minute about Chicago teachers in their kind of open Fridays. I forget what exactly you all <laughs> called it, but, um, but only because I was recently on a panel with Solange Brooks and she she called that out as such a unique program that you have. And maybe a lot of our listeners may not know about it. So maybe describe it for people. Sure. So
2: um, back in the day, um, it was hard for emerging and minority managers to really get in to see, um, you know, your staff, your consultant, and your trustees so way before i got to chicago teachers first friday was uh, developed and it's every first friday of the month um, sometimes with the exception of uh, january and july because of the holidays we have or we had because i gotta stop talking like i'm still (laughs) there we had um, uh, prospective managers come in Um, it was like speed dating they do 15 minutes of their presentations Um, and there's five to ten minutes of questions, Um, the trustees are there. Your consultant is there. They have the opportunity to then get into your consultant database. Um, All of investment staff is there. And, you know, we have set questions that we ask. And at that moment, you know, we know if this is a manager that we want to continue the relationship with, so we we set up you know after first Friday we set up our you know long Uh, meetings with the manager to really kind of go through the strategy and we start to develop a relationship and we felt like this was the key to starting those relationships way before you know we put out a, a RFP or we started a search or we did anything we wanted to know the managers we wanted to be familiar with the strategies we wanted to know if you know at any point there was an opportunity hey, we need to make sure that these managers apply to this RFP. And so we keep a, a large database Um Uh, It shows, you know, whether you're an Illinois-based manager, a minority-based manager, or a woman-owned manager, um, whether in, you know, it's open to everyone. So sometimes, you know, we we get majority-owned managers that also, you know, will apply to our RFPs. And again, you know, it's about developing that relationship for us. It's about education for the trustees. It's about education for the manager. Maybe they've never presented to a board maybe they've never you know had contact with a consultant so all around i think it was beneficial for all parties and it's still going on actually they have one on the third of december so
1: it's great the third? yes a third <laughs> well i i know for many people it's it's made a big difference and, and you yeah. that that program really set the tone for um yeah. Being welcomed and and having a a route in because as you say, sometimes the consultants don't always show emerging managers the routes to get in.
2: Yeah. And one contribution that I felt like I made to uh, First Fridays was I started to invite other public funds other fund of funds, other manager of managers, so that they too could uh, develop those relationships. So maybe Chicago teachers couldn't invest with that manager, but maybe Muni could, maybe laborers could, maybe police could. So because they were smaller, it, it didn't make sense to reinvent the wheel. So now that it's on Zoom, these, you know, funds still sign in, they still listen to the managers. We send them an agenda. If they don't want to stay the whole time, they can just listen to the manager that they're interested in.
1: Yeah.
2: No, I think it's terrific.
0: We would like to take a brief break to thank PE Wynn's founding sponsors. Kane Anderson Real Estate, and KPMG, as well as our platinum sponsor, TPG. If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at info at pewin.org. Now back to today's guest.
1: So I want to talk a little bit about how you moved into roles of increasing seniority. You mentioned that you um, you always had sort of a skill around managing people and and working with teams, but were there particularly particular moments or inflection points that helped you make a decision or, or gave you the opportunity to move into a senior role? Well, I think. Um As I
2: look back, um, just kind of thinking about, you know, it was the opportunities and being able to kind of take advantage of opportunities as they came about. Um, I think, you know, one one moment for me was really starting at that entry level position and being able to learn everything. And then I I just want to kind of mention as I travel back in time to 2015, When I was, you know, Carmen had left, and I was co-leading the team with another portfolio manager. And we were doing that for 10 months. Things were running as they should, and we got a new executive director. Um, And, you know, I was sitting there, you know, thinking, you know, how do I approach him? How do I tell him all the things that I've been thinking about? And, you know, he became a mentor. He became a sponsor. Um, And, you know... The other part of that was that I was sitting at that whip dinner where you got the trailblazer award. And I was listening to you, Miss Kelly Williams, (laughs) and you were talking about how we had to advocate for ourselves as women. And we had to raise our hands and say, hey, I can do this job. I don't you know, I don't have every qualification, but I need to do this and I can do it. And that's kind of exactly what I did. I I developed that relationship with the executive director, the new one. Um, I I let him know I'm qualified. I've been doing this job. um, And I asked for a chance. And he gave me one. And so, you know, he still wasn't quite sure, so he promoted me to director of investments. And, you know, as I continued to learn and understand how to match strategy to investments and how to um, really match talent to task, you know, I grew, and I every day you could kind of feel it or see it, and eventually he promoted me. Not eventually, maybe a year or two years, he he promoted me to CIO. And I felt like I, I should have been promoted before that but <laughs> <laughs> right. because I, I, I felt like I was doing the job. And so um, everything kind of works out like it should. You know, if, if he had, maybe I wasn't quite ready. And maybe there are some things that I needed to learn that made me a better CIO. But that's kind of how it happened. And I, I kind of moved into the CIO role. Um, and my first um, inclination was because I knew. With a small team, how much work it was was to build a larger team, and so that's kind of how I ended up uh, being in a CIO role there at Chicago Teachers. And I felt like if I didn't had the courage to speak up, um, if I didn't hear from you, if I didn't wander into that whip dinner that <laughs> night, I may have not, you know, raised my hand and you know had the courage to ask for something that I felt like I deserved. And so I just I got comfortable with being uncomfortable and with, you know, putting myself out there and asking. And I'm really kind of an introvert. So it's been difficult and it's something, you know, I have to work at and make sure that I am front and center and, and asking for the things that I deserve and the things that I can bring value to.
1: Well, I think that's a brilliant example. And I think tactically, whether you, whether you were doing this tactically or not, in my experience, um, when you bring a man in as a mentor or you approach him to be your mentor, he's much more likely to become your sponsor if he's in a role to do that. And it sounds like that's what happened for you yeah. in this situation. And maybe he, he, maybe he gave you a longer you know, uh, runway but as you say maybe it prepared you better because again in my experience female ceos particularly female cios of color you know are are often criticized right they're looking for you to make a mistake and so maybe you had longer to get comfortable in the role who knows but you're there now and now you're now you're now you've even you know laddered up to it to another position so let me ask you this is there a particular point that stands out where you were really conscious that you were a woman in your profession um, yeah. and 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 how did that come about and and what happened?
2: yeah, I, I feel like I'm reminded um, with every look that says, you know you don't belong here or you know, you, you're you in the wrong room, <laughs> or, right. or... Or the you, look of
1: astonishment you, you, when you speak yes, up. and
2: <laughs> Yes. And I'm just like, uh, I don't... You know, those voices are loudest when you're the only one in the room, and because, you know, uh, we are the minority, that often happens that we're the only one in the room. Or we're the first woman to hold um, a position or a particular position in an organization. And it it... You know, the saying, it gets lonely at the top, it, it gets lonely at the top. And you, you look for a network that can kind of help you and support you. Um, and you look to other women to, to do that. And I've, you know, found that network of positive women that help me kind of, you know, quiet those voices. Um, I've become really comfortable in who I am. Um, and the fact that I'm a woman and a woman of color um, has really been been what sets me apart Um, and it's funny because you know we always want to we ask a manager what distinguishes you from the next manager what what makes you the manager that we want to hire and I think about myself and I'm like again you know I'm I was made different I am different and so it it kind of makes me special in a way And it gives me a different perspective that brings value to the table. And I look at it that way. And I quiet the voice by constantly building my knowledge, um, by building strength and taking advantage of opportunities to improve. Um, And I feel like with every success comes more confidence. um, And those moments of awareness really kind of dissipate or disappear Um, And I think it takes, you know, again, women supporting other women, uh, being mentors and sponsors and getting together to really build a pipeline so that we secure a place in this industry. And, you know, we're not we can be the first women, but we don't want to be the last women. So, you know, it's been really kind of hard during COVID because I, I see, you know, the numbers kind of going down and I'm trying to you know, figure out how do we at least maintain until we can start to expose this industry to more women and and you know get those numbers back where they were before COVID.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you. Well, you know, as you know, the reason we started the Private Equity Women Investor Network and specifically focus on senior women mm-hmm. is for exactly what you say is that A lot of people think that when you become a partner or managing director or chief investment officer, well, you know, you're done, you made it. And it's often, um, it's very isolating because there aren't a lot of women there. And once you're the boss, you, it's hard to be vulnerable. You know, you Mm -hmm. still struggle, you still have issues, people are still coming at you. And so PEWIN is meant to be that trusted network where you can go talk to other women who've dealt with it and who know exactly what you're talking about. Um, and where you can have those kind of, you know, confidential conversations because there aren't, there, there aren't a lot of us who understand it, but those who do, we really understand it. We've really lived it. So, um, I, I think you said it, uh, I think you said it beautifully and I am a strong believer is we have to keep the senior women in the industry because if we don't model how to, how to right. make your way to the top, it's very hard in our industry to make your way. Yeah. And I, I. I do a lot of things that I don't
2: necessarily feel comfortable with, a lot of panels, a lot of, you know, just being out there so that, you know, students and younger women can see that this career is a possibility. It's, you know, within your reach, you know, she's doing it, so I can do it too. So, you know, I I've been invited to CNBC. So I've, I've, I've gone there. It it was the most nerve wracking thing in the world. (laughs) But I'm like, I'm going to do this because I need to do it. I need to, I need to show that, you know, other people can do it. Other women can do it. Other minorities can do it. Um, So that's kind of, you know, what drives me a lot to, to kind of, get out of my shell and out of my comfort zone and, and do podcast with uh, the great Kelly
1: Williams. But, you know, (laughs) I'm thrilled you're doing it where I'm having a (laughs) great time. This is lots of fun. Um, So let me ask you, what's been the high point of your career so far? I feel like I'm I'm at the high point.
2: And I think at any point that you would have asked me that in my career, I would have said the same thing. Um, I feel like every moment in every position um where I did my best um and I gave my all, um it was a high point for me. And I'm excited to kind of leave it all on the field for IMRF. You know, every day is the start of a new day where I feel like I can make a difference. Um so it it was a high point to leave Chicago teachers uh, with the highest total assets that they had seen be before 2008 and with returns that consistently you know, outperformed the benchmarks and with 47% of their assets being managed by minority and women-owned firms. So that definitely was a high point. Um, and I, I've just I've experienced so many points where, you know, I felt like I made a positive impact or where I caused others or could help others make positive impacts and where we could really kind of witness the returns to or the results of our work. So I feel like there's a lot of opportunities in front of me. And I'm kind of working with a sense of urgency and intentionality because I'm getting a little older. (laughs) And, you know, I want to have that that positive impact and leave a legacy um, of just success and leadership and, you know, being intentional about increasing the number of minorities and women in this industry.
1: Yeah, well, you're certainly doing that because um, I, I mean, I will just say, observing in even in just the last five years or so, I think certainly your profile has has gone up dramatically. And as you say, that's meaningful. It makes a difference to people um, that you're getting that kind of recognition. And it is also clear to me that you're not seeking it. You're not you're not a fame seeker. You are. I, I I'm not surprised to hear that you're you're a little shy. But as you say, it's important to to have role models like you out there so that people can see that they can be them, their authentic selves yeah. um, and they can achieve and that there is a path for them. Yeah. Coming
2: from where I came from, it's my responsibility to help someone else because I was helped so much Um through high school, through college, through, you know, my first jobs, through, you know, other people saying, hey, I know somebody that might be interested in, in, you know, moving forward. So I I cannot, um, I cannot leave, you know, the working industry without giving back as much as I was given. Yeah,
1: I agree. Well, so... um is there a time in your career where you feel like um, you made a mistake, or something that you would even identify as a failure? God, I know I have dozens of them, but where where you know it happened, and you got through it, you yeah. got to the other side of it, that you would you know you'd be willing to share with us?
2: Well, I think you know what stands out in my mind. Is, you know, after some missteps and, and almost rebellions, um, one lesson and one thing that, you know, I initially felt at very early on, and, and I'm so grateful that it was early on, is in managing people. Um, I had to learn and understand that you can't manage everyone the same way because people are different and people have different motivators and experiences. And so as a young manager, I was like, you know, these are the things I want you to do. And okay, and here's the deadline and, you know, check in with me and it was done. But I didn't understand that, first of all, I'm managing people that, you know, could be my parent and so they were looking at me like who is she and (laughs) I've I've been working longer than she's been alive (laughs) and like I've
1: got I've got suits older than her
2: (laughs) (laughs) it was like I had to kind of back up and I was like wait a minute so how do I get them to respect me and it was a process learning what they did appreciating what they did um and and just you know understanding that mutual respect and trust was critical and getting that done and having them to respect me as their manager or their leader. And I think that kind of carried forward, you know, some of the failures that I have in managing boards and, (laughs) and stakeholders, you know, it it happens consistently. But, you know, I, I learned how to, form alliances and negotiate points and really to respect opinions that, you know, differed so much from, you know, my own opinion. And so it's, it's constantly a learning environment. And every time there's a failure, I have to figure out where I failed, um, how to move forward and how to grow from that failure. And I think, you know, that's the same with challenges. I I just now see challenges as an opportunity to learn and to do better and to grow from it. So I don't make the same mistakes. I don't make the same failures. And I become a, a better leader.
1: Yeah. I agree. I mean, you know, we both kind of referred to our age. The thing that happens is it's not that you're not going to fail again, but you've been around long enough to know that it's not the end of the world. And to me, that's the most important thing is I remember as a young person making a mistake and literally like fretting for days and realizing, you know, once I com- you know, once I confronted it head on, it wasn't that big a deal. Yeah. But um, once you're Once you've been around the block a few times, you realize, okay, yeah, I screwed up, but this is not the end of the world and, you know, things will right themselves and something else will come along. And that's the important thing because I do think um, in their career, women are often highly scrutinized and Mm -hmm. when they make a mistake or they have a failure, they really, really um, agonize over it. Yeah, we
2: we we do at times and but it helps to be a part of a organization that um you know has such a long-term focus. Like I cannot do something that one day is going to have impact for this long without having the opportunity to change that. So it's not like, you know, your your time frame isn't, you know, if I mess up today, I'm gone tomorrow. It's if I mess this up, hey, I messed this up, let's try this. You know, let's let's do this. And that's where, you know, a team comes into play and collaborating and trying to come to the best decisions. So I don't know everything and I don't pretend to know everything. So I I want to have people around me that have strengths where I'm weak and I have strengths where they're weak. So it's it's kind of, you know, I'm insulated by having smart people around me and listening to those smart people and being able to work with them. Right. And for those of us
1: in private equity, we have the benefit of a long-term asset class. So Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> Is, 10, your 12, mistakes don't. Yeah, 20, they don't always show up immediately, as you say. <laughs> well, now I want to do one of my favorite parts of our of our podcast, which is the lightning round. So I'm just going to ask you some quick questions just to get okay. your your response or reaction. um My first is: Is there a great book that you've had a chance to read or listen to mm. lately? I am. I haven't. I. You know what?
2: I read like the first seven chapters of every book and never finish <laughs> it. But I, I am reading *Cast*: uh, *The Origins oh. of Our Discontents*. Isabel um, Wilkerson. It, yes, and mm-hmm. so I have promised myself that I am going to finish this book, and and that's what I'm reading now. Great,
1: great, great choice. Um, is do you have a guilty pleasure show that you binge watch? <laughs> Okay, but you can't tell anybody.
2: Um <laughs> <laughs> I love the Housewives shows and I'm particularly interested in Potomac, Atlanta,
1: and uh lately Salt Lake City. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> Good for you. A lot of I used drama. to I used to watch Beverly Hills and then I haven't watched that in a long time, but I agree, lots of drama, lots yeah, of self-created drama.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. It makes your drama
1: not feel like drama. Exactly. <laughs> All the reason more to watch it. Yeah, yeah. mine's been Succession, which is, you know, it, sometimes it's a, I get a little PTSD because it's so close to our own industry, right? But um, yeah. uh, so what's your cell phone wallpaper?
2: It is a picture of my two sons, Malcolm and Nicholas. Wonderful. Are you a dog or a cat person? I am a cat person because, well, I I owned a cat when I was uh, younger, like eight or nine. Um, And now my son, for some reason, my oldest, he has uh, a cat who thinks uh, she's a dog. Um, So (laughs) she hangs around a lot of rugby players and she is the roughest cat you would ever meet.
1: That is so funny. Oh, I love that. Um, What's the best piece of advice you were ever given? So the best piece, um, don't
2: let fear uh, paralyze you. Fear of failure paralyze you. Um, Rather, use that fear to kind of propel you into more confidence, uh, more strength, and into your purpose. Um, And don't forget to be unapologetically you great
1: advice yeah wow uh and the final thing is there a skill or something that we don't know about you that you'd like to to share with us a skill
2: let me see
1: i got a lot
2: of kind of skills um i am a good baker um i I am a good bowler. That's how I met my husband. Uh, ah, I'm actually a good bowler, too. That's we something should get surprising. A we, should, get
1: we should do a P.E. win bowling night in Chicago, like the uh, iconic bowling city. You all know how to bowl there in that city. Yeah, we do, because it's cold outside, so a lot of months are spent bowling. <laughs> all right, that right, we're going to get on that, because I have to tell you, the Midwest chapter is great. They are so good at putting events together, so we're going to get on that one.
2: Yeah, so that and I do sew a little bit. So I've I've been quilting a little bit. So oh, good for you. That's yeah. wonderful. I want to well, make a quilt
1: for my both both my boys. Oh, how wonderful! My my great grandmother was a quilter, so mm-hmm. I feel very fortunate to have her her quilts. Yeah. That's a great thing to pass on to family. Well, this has been absolutely wonderful. I'm so grateful to you for spending this time with me, because as, as I know, you're holding, holding back the family. Everybody's being quiet. Um, but this has been a delight. I'm looking forward to getting to spend more time with you in person. Yes. Uh, but until then, what a, what a treat for me and for our listeners to have spent this time with you today. And so uh, Angela Miller-May, thank you again. And thanks for being a guest on Moments That Made Her. Thank you.
2: And thank you, Kelly, for helping me along the way, not knowing that you were helping me. And thank you to PEWIN.
3: Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Scotty Wardell, co-chair of the PEWIN Communications Committee. As a reminder, the content in this recording is for general information purposes only and does not constitute advice. We give no assurance or warranty regarding accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents of this recording. This recording is provided as is and PEWIN expressly disclaims any and all warranties expressed or implied to the extent permitted by law. Except where acknowledged the copyright and all intellectual property rights in all material in this recording are owned by PEWIN and our affiliates and should not be reproduced without our prior written consent. Other organizations or brand names used within this recording are for identification purposes only. The content set forth in this recording may not be sold, reproduced, or distributed without PE Win's prior written consent. Any third-party trademarks, service marks, and logos are the property of their respective owners. Any further rights not specifically granted herein are reserved. Thank you again for joining us today, and we hope you tune in for another episode soon. <laughs>